we are going to be looking at a few verses tonight in the book of 1 John chapter 2. You can turn there if you have a Bible, and hopefully you do. Uh, verses 15 through 17. If you've been raised in a church or around the church, church for any length of time, uh, it's probably familiar to you. Um, I'm also going to read from a bunch of other different passages tonight. Um, so if you do want to follow along or like, and I won't probably spend a whole lot of time in each of them. So if you're like one for trying to go back and look at it later on, I would say have your notebook uh, ready or whatever you're using to take notes with. Um, 1 John chapter 2. And I got a little slack for it the other day because it was in Chuck's office with Pastor Brian as well. And they said, well, what are you sharing on? And I said what I was sharing. And Brian's like, I thought the conference was on abiding in Christ. What are you doing? Like, what are you, what are you, you're not talking about abiding in Christ? I thought, well, Chuck's doing that. So why, I don't want to go back to back on it, you know. But the truth of the matter is, is that uh, it does connect. And what we're going to talk about tonight in relation to abiding in Christ is um, this idea of loving the world that seeks to destroy the ability to abide in Christ. Uh, and that's kind of where we're going to be coming from here tonight. Um, so I will read again the theme verse for this conference, verse 5 of John 15. I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. That's us. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And as Chuck had explained earlier, for those of you who were here, uh, that that's God's heart. That's what God desires from our life, is the life to remain attached to him for the purpose of bearing fruit, which is a life that glorifies God. And I'd encourage each of you um, tonight, when you leave here and you get some time settled, maybe you're at a hotel room or, or whatever, wherever you guys are staying, if you're going back to your house, um, to take some time set apart and to read through 15, John chapter 15, John chapter 16, and John chapter 17 a couple times, asking the Lord, saying, hey, I want to I follow you. I want to abide in you. And for me personally, at least, those three chapters, I mean, you could start earlier even in 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, but I don't want to overdo it. Uh, and, and for me personally, these chapters are like, man, they're life-giving when it comes to the life that's abiding in Christ and God's will for your life and, and so forth. If you open yourself up to him uh, and ask him to show you what it means to walk with him and to abide in him, I trust that he'd use his word in that regard um, to show you a few things, and particularly John 17. It's so rich. Um, that being said, uh, we'll pray, and then we'll take a look at a couple of these verses here. So, Father, we thank you 
for this night, Lord. I thank you for this conference, Lord, the ability to leave uh, the normal Thursday night aside, the normal Friday and the normal Saturday morning aside, and, and to come together with the collective body of Christ and to worship you and to look into your word. I thank you for the ability to do that. I pray, Lord, for each individual here, and you know every one of us. You know every aspect of our lives, Lord. You know every struggle that's here. You know every concern. You know every thought that's being pondered in the lives of every one of us, Lord. You know every question that we have. You know the difficulties that some of us may be facing. And I pray, Lord, that you'd use this time apart, Lord, to minister and speak your truth to shine your light, Lord, to open our eyes to what it is you desire for us. Um, have your way, Lord. Be with us tonight, Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd bring your word to life and you would accomplish what you desire to accomplish. So we commit this time to you, Lord. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 15 it says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions. Your translation might say, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And like I said, this is put forth uh, as a warning for Christians, right? This letter is written to believers. This is a word and a warning to Christians, now, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to know that he loves you. He cares deeply for you. He understands everything that you may be facing and every question you may have. And he does desire uh, for you to come into a loving relationship with him. And he's available. And he displayed that love towards you on the cross in his sinless life prior to that, the fact that God took on flesh and walked amongst us and paid the penalty for our sins so that we have access to Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, earth and everything therein. He displayed his love for you in that regard, and he rose from the grave to prove that he is who he says that he is. So if you don't know him, you can come to know him, and I'd encourage you, if you're questioning anything about this, to take this time away and speak with maybe one of your leaders or pastor, whoever brought you, or any of the leaders that are here, um, uh, and inquire more about this salvation. But this letter is written, and this warning is written to Christians. And there's a reason for it, because it's a real temptation. The reason he tells us not to love the world, or the things in the world, is because we have this inclination to be drawn to this world that he tells us not to love. Um, so what is meant by the word world in which we're not to love? I think it's extremely important 
in all areas of life, but particularly when we're looking in the scriptures, to know definitions, right? And to understand and seek to understand what the Lord is trying to say. So what is meant by this word world in which we are to not love? Uh, it can't mean the material universe per se, right? In Genesis chapter 1, throughout the creation account um, of this material universe, God consistently said that which he made was good. He said he made this and that, and it was good, right? Uh, Jesus himself took on flesh and lived amidst his creation, and he enjoyed various aspects of his creation, and he even said on multiple occasions to his disciples that he desires for his joy to be in us. So he, he had joy in the midst of the created order, and he took pleasure in certain things in this life. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 tells us that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Okay, so this word world can't mean necessarily just like the th like the created order in the material universe, because that would contradict uh, various aspects of God's word. It can't mean, obviously, the people that make up this world, right? Because you guys all know the verse, John chapter 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believeth on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. When he said the world there, he was talking about the people of the world. So it can't mean the people. We see Jesus on multiple occasions throughout the gospel records. If you read them, it says that he was moved with compassion for the people in which he engaged in, right? Moved with compassion means that he had this emotional attachment and love for these people. That's why he was moved with compassion towards them. Uh, so it, you also know the command to love your neighbor as yourself, so when John tells us in 1 John chapter 2 not to love the world, it can't be the material universe and it can't be simply the people that make up uh, that world necessarily. Um, so it must be something else that John here is calling the world. There's a book written by a guy named Lewis Sperry Schaefer, Satan, His Methods and His Motives. It's really great. And in that book... He gives a definition, uh, and it says this. The world, he defines the world as such. It is a great evil system or order over which Satan is in authority. The word world referring to the world of men, their evil undertakings, ideals, and federation. This federation includes all of the unsaved and fallen humanity. It has the cooperation of the fallen spirits and is the union of all who are living and acting in independence of God. This satanic system has its own ideals and principles, which are in sharp contrast to the ideals and principles given to the redeemed, that is, those who are born again, followers of Jesus Christ. Yet these two classes must mingle together as closely as the ties of human life can bring them. So it is this as Lewis Barry Schaefer puts forth in his definition, and we're going to look at some scriptures to find out where he got that definition from, by the way, but it's this evil system or order over which Satan's in authority, first and foremost, um, and it refers to the men and women alike who are governed by him, 
their undertakings, their ideals, and their federation. It means their union. They're coming together in their commonalities, which are all governed by Satan, their ideals, and so forth that flow then forth from them. And notice it says it has cooperation with fallen spirits and is the union of all who are living and acting in independence of God. So it can include this world system, Christians, quote unquote, those who though are acting in independence from God. In other words, those who are not abiding in Christ and seeking to do his will and following after him. You know, Christians can get caught up, right? in the ways of this world. And that's why John here is warning us not to love it. Christians can get caught up and operate and function the way the world functions. And the scriptures constantly warn us not to. That's why he says throughout the scriptures, you know, wake up, O thou that sleepest, and so forth. Other things like that. So in our society, we have a similar way of defining things, right? You say that's a kind of a weird way to define the world, but we, we do the same thing. We have the world of sports. We have the world of finance. We have the world of music, you know, hip-hop world and so forth. And within all of these different little groups, the world of sports, I mean, you know, when people are in a room with me and they start talking sports, like my eyes glaze over because... People are like legit into sports and know like everything about them. And I'm not, I'm not like knocking that. I'm not saying that these are the, the people of the world that I'm, you know, the, he's condemning here. I'm just giving an example. But people know like all about the trades that are happening way before they happen, salaries, all of these inner workings of like the NBA, who's behind the NBA, like making decisions and moves and all that kind of stuff. Like people legit know the world of sports, right? There's a whole thing to that. Same thing with finances. Like there's people in control of the world of finances that actually run things. And they're making deals behind the the scenes and all that kind of stuff. And we just feel kind of the effects of all that. But like there's this whole federation of people and they have their own ideals and they're they're making moves, man. There's a world of finances, the hip-hop industry, like, there's a whole world and culture to that. And you, if you don't buy into that, like, you'll never make it in that, right? You have to subscribe to and play the game. So we have this same kind of way of defining things. There's the world, and, and there's other examples that could be used, but those are just a few. So in each of these, there are people who govern these worlds, and they have their own sets of ideals and unions. So this world that John warns us to not love is the ideologies, the philosophies, the morals, and everything else that flows forth from this present federation of men governed by Satan, which are always independent from the true and living God and his word. And you might think that that's a bit extreme, to say that the world is governed by Satan and that its philosophies and morality are led by him. So I'd like to read some scriptures to clarify what the Lord says about this. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John on three separate occasions about the ruler of this world. John chapter 12, verse 31 I'm not going to give the full context and all that kind of stuff, but just you can go back and look at it on your own. John 12, 31, Jesus speaking, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. 
John 14, 30. I will no longer talk much with you, Jesus speaking to his disciples. He knows that the crucifixion is near. His time has come. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. And I love this. He has no claim on me, he says. John 16, verse 11. Concerning judgment, Jesus again speaking. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jesus speaking clearly about a ruler that is not him, that is already judged, that will be cast out and has no claim on him. Uh, Paul tells us further of the same 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. He says, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Paul clarifies a little bit more so about the, um, the workings of this ruler of the world, or as he refers to him, the God of this world. And he says that he's blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light and the glorious gospel and the glory of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul again speaking in verses 1 and 2, and he says, and he's speaking to people who are now redeemed, who are saved, who are born again following Jesus. And he refers to them, he says, and you were dead, past tense, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Interesting, right? You might say it seems a little harsh that you'd say that, you know, the world is governed by Satan and its moralities and its ways. I didn't say it. That's what the scripture says. Paul says that this spirit, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world, as Jesus calls him, the God of this age, as Paul said earlier, it says that he is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And he says, you once walked this way. You once followed the course that he laid out before you. John tells us later on in the letter, 1 John, that we're reading in chapter 5, 19, he says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This same ruler of this world, God of this world, prince of the power of the air. It's the same one. And then going back to Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, you probably know about the temptation of Christ when he's in the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights. He's fasting and praying, and Satan comes to him, and he tempts him three ways. And the one temptation that he comes to him, he says, and the devil took him up and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, Satan said to Jesus, to you, I will give all of this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Satan tempted Jesus in this way. And he says, I've been given all authority over all of the kingdoms of this world and I can give them to whomever I will. If you bow down and you worship me, I will give them unto you. He was tempting Jesus, and you know the response. He says, the Lord alone shall you worship, and him shall you serve. You know, and he obviously rebuttaled him and, and didn't give in to the temptation. 
Um, but if it weren't true, Jesus could have easily just said, well, that's not true. You don't have the authority to give me. But he didn't. It's interesting. It goes along with the rest of the tenets of Scripture that testify that he does rule over the systems that are in place in this world. So the world that we are told not to love is this present age's systems of operation. It's way of doing life, it's morality, it's philosophies, it's ideologies, it's solutions for the world's problems, it's comforts, it's toys, it's technologies, and so on and so on. In our society, because we are so wealthy, particularly within the American culture, we're so wealthy, we have so many physical comforts, and for the most part, we have enjoyed... um, for the most part, we've enjoyed the general acceptance of a Christian profession here in America, meaning you don't face imprisonment or death for saying that you are a Christian, right? We've enjoyed that comfort, as other places in the world certainly do not. Um, And on top of that, many Christians have enjoyed great success in the marketplace and so forth. The tendency for believers in our society and in our context is to nestle down into those successes to grow comfortable in them and to seek to protect those comforts by sort of blending in with the culture. Now, I'm not condemning by any means successes and so forth. God blesses richly. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17, he's given us all things to enjoy and so forth. I'm not condemning that fact in and of itself, but what I'm saying is that we have a tendency to grow comfortable in the successes and in the somewhat pseudo-acceptance that we can have in our culture today. There's a tendency to nestle down and to grow comfortable and to then want to protect those successes that we have by blending it, by not upsetting you know, those around us too much. Because I'm confident that um, a true, on fire, abiding in Christ, living for Jesus life will face super hard times if you are in this world living wholeheartedly for Jesus. I'm not saying you won't enjoy successes, and I'm not saying you won't enjoy comforts. I'm just saying that the tendency is to want to enjoy those more than you want to honor and glorify God in your life. The tendency is to draw back into that um, and to blend in with the culture by adopting their way of life. And Before you know it, the world has rocked you to sleep. And when I say the world, really the one who rules this world has rocked you to sleep. William Law long ago warned that the world is now a greater enemy to the Christian than it was in apostolic times. He says, it's a greater enemy because it has a greater power over Christians by its favors, its riches, honors, rewards, and protection than it had by the fire and fury of its persecutors. It is a more dangerous enemy by having lost its appearance of enmity. Its outward profession of Christianity makes it no longer considered as an enemy, and therefore the people are easily persuaded to resign themselves up 
to be governed and directed by it. This world has a draw. It has a draw uh, that is very enticing, particularly to the Christian, because a, a man or a woman who is living wholeheartedly after Jesus will ultimately have friction in its life uh, because of what we stand for and because of what the world stands for. They, can't, they don't coincide. They absolutely don't coincide, which we'll see. Uh, so this is the method that Satan uses to get God's people to fall in love with this world. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This is the method that Satan uses to get God's people to fall in love because what happens is you grow comfortable in the world. You start to adopt some of its ideologies and justify them and try to fit them into your Bible and, and, and say, okay, I can ascribe to this because I think I can justify it with this verse or that verse, even though the whole push of it goes against Scripture. And you get comfortable there uh, because you don't want to upset the people around you and you don't want to make any enemies for sure because we're supposed to be people of love. And so this is the reasoning that oftentimes happens. You get comfortable there. You justify your comforts in that regard because you don't want to upset people. You don't want to offend anyone, certainly. And you don't want to make any enemies. And before you know it, if you continue in that path, you will love it. You'll love the world. They'll, the, it'll wrap its arms around you and you'll be rocked to sleep. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 Verses 16 through 23, I'm going to read. This is Paul's prayer. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That's his prayer. That we, and that's the prayer for us, that we would have um, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He wants, us, he wants our eyes, our spiritual eyes to be opened up so that we're not rocked to sleep by this world and we're not caught off guard and we're not deceived because Satan is a deceiver and a liar. It says he was from the beginning and he wants to pull you off the course. Chuck said earlier that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. The scriptures testify to it and Satan hates it and he wants to keep you from walking in it. So Paul's praying for us and saying that he wants us to have a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He has a, a glorious inheritance in his saints, in his people that he's chosen unto himself. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age or world, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and he gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's the Lord's heart for us. He says he called us unto himself. He's given us this inheritance that is eternal and is glorious. 
and he wants us to know the immeasurable greatness of his power because you hear these things about the world and the ruler of this world and all these different things, and it can seem a little daunting and stuff. And he, he's like, no, I want to remind you, though, that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And Jesus says throughout his Gospel of John that he has overcome the world, that he has conquered the world. I read those three verses from John chapter 12, 14, and 16. You know, Satan's already judged. Jesus has already overcome him. Satan will be cast out eventually. He'll have no more power. He's been allotted some for a time in the season, and there's purposes known to the Lord as to why. It says he has no claim on Christ. Like, he can't, he, he's not more powerful, but he is powerful, and he will deceive if he can. And Paul's like, I want you to have a spirit of revelation and understanding of him. I want you to know the hope that you have in Christ and so forth. So he says, we've been chosen out of the world. We've been brought into a glorious hope, an eternal kingdom. And our inheritance is reserved for us in heaven. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. And it never fades away, it tells us in First Peter. It never fades away. All the things in this world are passing and they will be dissolved. The kingdom of God is eternal and it abides forever. We, saints, those who walk with Jesus, who've been saved by his grace through faith. We belong to another kingdom, and we are not of this world. We're not. Don't try to fit in. It's not the way to win souls to Christ by fitting in with the world. People want something different. It's the only way. John fifteen nineteen says, this is Jesus again speaking, if you were of the world, I said that we're not of this world, we're of another kingdom, of another world. Jesus says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Colossians 1, 13, Paul speaking says that by salvation, he has delivered us out of the domain of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what we see happening is this, this one kingdom that's of this world and is passing away, and then simultaneously this other kingdom that is not of this world, that is governed by Jesus Christ, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that is eternal and it will never pass away. And we're in one or two of those kingdoms, and you can subscribe to one or, one or the other. You, you, you don't get to choose both. And John in 1 John is saying, don't love the kingdom of this world. Don't be lured by it. Don't be drawn into it. It will ultimately be your demise. The second part of the first verse in 1 John chapter 2 Verse 15 uh, says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you can't love both. And you know the command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What he's saying is, if you love the world, you can't fulfill that command to love the, love the Lord. Because he says right here in 1 John 2, the second part of verse 15, that if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't have both. We've seen from the scriptures fairly clearly 
what the world is and who governs it. The Lord has called us out of it, and we've seen that he's translated us then into his own kingdom by salvation in Christ. And now John says, if you love this world, the love for God is not in you. Love for the world and love for, the God, and love for God are like oil and water. And if you've ever put water and oil together, you know that they don't mix, right? The oil will clump up and, and stay away from the water. They don't mix. James 4.4 4 tells us that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. It says that friendship with the world is enmity towards God. It means that it's hatred towards God. Again, clearly, you can't have both. Now, we heard from John 15 about the abiding in Christ. And what the word is telling us here is that we cannot abide in Christ and be caught up in this world at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. And the abiding life is a life that is attached to Jesus in all areas of life. It is all-encompassing. It's not like it's not like, hey, I, you know, I go to youth group on Wednesday nights and church on Sundays or group on Monday nights or, or whatever, and like that's, that's the extent of my abiding. No, it's a living, thriving, uh, continual, unending, eternal relationship with the risen Savior. And it is perceiving his presence in all areas of your life, in your going down and you're rising up when you go to bed and you wake up and everything in between the abiding life is throughout all of my day and all of my days I am dependent on the Lord Jesus for my sustenance for my strength for anything provisionally that I need spiritually speaking frustration you gotta abide in Christ anxiety abide in Christ depression Abide in Christ. Questions about life and things that are going on. Abide in Christ. Seek him. He has all you need. He's the living vine and we are the branches. We don't, like he said, have to struggle to produce the fruit. We simply abide. Remain in him. Put to death anything that's not of him within us. 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 through six said, but whoever keeps his word, that is the Lord's word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we know that we are in him. By this we know that we are abiding in Christ by keeping his word. And then it goes on to say, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You say you abide in Christ, you want to abide in him, you ought to walk the way Jesus walked. Well, how can I get to know the way Jesus walked? I'm glad you asked. He recorded for us specifically for that reason. Read the Gospels. Read the rest of the scriptures. You'll see how he walked. You say, all right, I can, that's a good start. That's where you start. John 8, 12 says, Jesus speaking, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life will not walk in darkness. Okay, now what? Go through the scriptures, New Testament specifically, and see what it says about darkness and walking in darkness. Find all them verses and read all the verses around those verses and then say, okay, 
if I say abide in Christ, I ought to walk the way in which he walked. He tells me himself in John 8, verse 12, that he is the light of the world. In him is no darkness, and anyone that follows after him will, have, will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And then he tells me what walking in darkness looks like so I can avoid that. Nice. That's a good start. John 14, verse 21 and verse 23 say basically the same thing. Jesus, again speaking, says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and we'll make our home with him. We'll abide with him, is what he says. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. That means guard it and live it out. My Father will love him and we'll come to him and we'll make our home with him. That's what God promises. That's what the Lord himself promises. Verse 16 Moving along, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, you could stay here all day and talk about all of the lusts of the flesh and all of the lusts of the eyes and every avenue of the pride of life. I'm not going to do it. That's your duty as you abide in Christ to learn what your lusts of your flesh are, what your lusts of your eyes are, and what the pride of life for you looks like as a follower of Christ, you have to discover that. I'll give a few brief examples, but that's a lifelong journey. That's continual. It changes, it morphs, it shows itself in different ways in different seasons of life and so forth. But as you abide, he'll show you where you're steering off course, where your flesh is taking over, where the lust of your eyes is having its way, and he'll say, turn from it, repent from it, give yourself afresh to me. The desires of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, this is the desires of our sin nature that lives within us that has not been fully eradicated and will not be until we are glorified with the Lord, be it the rapture or whatever comes first, our death. Uh, so we have a sin nature that's within us. I'm sure most of you know this. If you've ever had a desire to steal something or take something that's not yours, that's your sin nature, wanting to do that. If you've ever had a desire to lie because you wanted to cover up whatever it was that you did and you didn't want to face the consequences, that's your sin nature telling you, don't tell the truth, cover that up, walk in darkness, right? And we all have a sin nature. Uh, we have to put that to death regularly as Christians. So it's any desire or sinful interest that draws us away from God and into sin, that's your sin nature. That is the lust of your flesh. Warren Wearsby gives these examples. God has given us desires, and these desires are good. Hunger, thirst, weariness, and sex are not evil in themselves, but when the flesh nature controls them, they become sinful less. Hunger is not evil, but gluttony is sinful. Thirst is not evil, but drunkenness is is a sin. Sleep is a gift from God, but laziness is shameful. Sex is God's precious gift when used rightly and in the context of God's order, man and a woman in the covenant of marriage, but when used wrongly, it is sin. Now the world will twist and pervert Every one of those, and again, like I said, it's not exhaustive, the list goes on. The world will twist and pervert all of that, and the world system will try to have its own ideals of, of those things and what they look like and justify, and its own morality in regards to it. Uh, they'll say, there's nothing wrong with eating whatever I want, whenever I want, and as much as I want. The Bible will call it gluttony. The world says, what's wrong with that? I can just do whatever I want, whatever I want, however much I want, 
It's no problem. Drinking, getting drunk, uh, nothing wrong with it. You just can't drink and drive. That's what, that's what they would say. Uh, laziness, nah, it's not sinful. I don't have anything else to do. It's summertime. School is out. Uh, I can stay in a room and play video games or veg out on Netflix or on TikTok videos until 3 a.m. Now, I know none of you have ever done those things, right? And then I'll just sleep until whenever my body tells me it's time to wake up. And if I feel like doing something the next day, I will. But if I'm extremely tired, I'll just hang in my room, maybe order a cheesesteak, have it door dashed, and, and repeat the process. It's no problem. I'll waste my next day. Sexual activity is only between an actual married couple, and that married couple must be a man and a woman. That idea is archaic and, in fact, quite oppressive to some people. That's what the world would say. Um, People should be able to love whoever they feel emotions toward and express those emotions in sexual activity however and whenever they see fit. That's what the world would say. That's their moral compass. Um, and the scriptures would say, no, that's not. It's not okay. Those are the lusts of the flesh. You find yourself in those camps, you know, that's the lust of your flesh that's trying to take precedence. The desires of the eyes. Uh, the eyes are the gateway to the mind and ultimately then to the heart. The Bible tells us that we are to guard that which we behold. Um, The lust of our eyes develops further the arena of our sinful desires. So it takes the lust of the flesh and it kind of develops it further. All of these, by the way, these three things are interchanging and they overlap. Uh, On one front, it could mean the more intellectual side of life, the temptation to gratify the mind in sophisticated intellectual ways, which can lead then to being wrapped up in the world's systems of ideas, if not closely guarded. Um, Consider most universities that are devoted to higher learning, which at this point almost entirely are opposed to God's word. I read, I have a a, a book I love, and one of the first chapters in it is, I lost my faith at an evangelical university. And the idea is this Christian graduated from a Christian school, grew up in a Christian household, never really got the answers that they wanted in terms of like questions of life and so forth, went to an evangelical university one that flew the banner of Christianity above it. And he says he lost his faith there because in the classroom, his professors were not standing by the word of God in matters of creation, in matters, in in all of God's, you know, orders, basically. They had ascribed to the solutions that the world has put forth. And he's like, then what? This is all archaic. And they lost it. He eventually got saved and realized that his professors just had subscribed to the world. Um, but the idea is we need to guard our eyes and what we learn and how we take it in and how we perceive it and what we do with then that information. So the desires of the eyes could speak of that. And on another front, it can mean simply that which we look at and that which the world flaunts to us as desirable that then captivate our mind and heart and draw us away from God's word and then ultimately away from his will. And, you know, social media and really all of entertainment at this point is this is where they, this is their whole thing, right? They just put before your eyes 
everything that this world deems desirable and good and so forth, and it's constant. And that's why, you know, you, you veg out on TikTok videos until 3 a.m., and man, I'd be darned if you didn't adopt the way of this world from a few nights of that, because all you're going to see constantly Maybe you get a few things peppered in there that a Christian is like, I'm going to get on TikTok and I'm going to try and switch this up or whatever. Maybe you get a few in there. But reality is you're going to have the world right before your eyes. And he says, guard that because you're going to adopt it if you're not careful. The pride of life, it speaks of the one who is uh, trying to impress people with his importance. It begins by being more concerned with what people think of them instead of God's estimation of them, and therefore they go around flaunting and trying to outdo others for the purpose of notoriety. Again, social media, I mean, you can put this whole facade of life on, and and everyone thinks that this is like who you actually are. And the reality is the majority of it is just one person trying to one-up someone else. They saw something, so they got to flaunt something bigger. They got to show off what they're doing, who they're with, their successes, that kind of thing. They want to put their best foot forward and and have it on display. That's the pride of life. That's feeding your flesh. And that's all that it does. And it ends in an overconfidence that causes us to lose the notion that we are actually dependent on God. And Christians can find yourselves there, where you find that you are no longer dependent on God and obviously not abiding in the vine. Um, the Bible says to not be conformed to this world, but rather be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Do not be conformed, pressed into the mold of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. If you're going to boast in anything, This is what the Lord says, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and he knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He says the world has been crucified to me and I have been crucified to the world. And that's our daily duty, to crucify ourselves and our flesh. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life all spring forth from the world and not from the Father. And we as followers of Jesus must be aware of these pitfalls and we must actively guard against them. We are to put to death the sin nature that is within us and actively, intentionally, and wholeheartedly pursue God and his will. Pursue God and his will. And I'm confident that throughout the rest of this conference and this time away, and as you abide in Christ and you seek the Lord in the scriptures, he will make his will for you more clear. And he just calls us to the next step. We oftentimes want to know the end from the beginning. We want to know the answer to everything. And he's like, no, 
you just take the next step in me. So whatever he's calling to you next, that's what you do. And you find yourself in the center of his will. Verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God, he says, abides forever. So the world and its desires, they're transient. They're passing away. Satan who governs it, he's trying to get you to think and to buy into it and say, no, this is what life is all about. This is reality. This is long lasting. This is what you need. And God's saying, no, it's passing away. The will of God and those who do it alike, those are eternal. I'm going to end with two scriptures and I'm going to close out that testify to this, the fact that the world is passing away and its desires. So you say, well, what am I supposed to hold on to? Well, we looked at some of it, but here is kind of the end game. Second Peter chapter 3, 8 through 13 say this, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You see, that is our end, and we are on that journey. And he's like, abide in me, remain in me, follow wholeheartedly after me, seek to do my will. It, it will end in your eternal life. And you will have a new heaven and a new earth. All the things of this world, they're being burnt up. They're passing away. They promise everything and they deliver on nothing. It's like smoke. And it'll be burnt up in an instant. The day of the Lord will come, he says. And knowing that, he says, what manner of people ought you and I to be in lives of holiness and godliness in this day, in this age, in this world? Revelation 21 Verses one through eight said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, right? This world, it's transient and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. He will dwell with them. He'll abide with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things they've passed away. Some of you are enduring some of these hardships. He's like, it's going to pass. It's going to pass. Press on, endure, abide in Christ. 
his kingdom is eternal. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they are true. And he said to me, It is finished. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for the murderers, sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. John says that the one, the world is passing away, its desires are passing away, it will all be burnt up, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. The pursuits of this world, the morality of this world, the philosophies of this world, the desires of this world, the promises of this world, the riches of this world, and the ruler of this world will be done away with. The warning here is for us as Christians not to be duped by everything that is pressing in around us. We are not of this world, and we're called to something higher. We are to be obedient to and abiding in the one who remains when everything else passes away. That's what he calls us to. John 10, 27 through 30 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. This is Jesus, by the way. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one, he says. The exhortation is to abide in Christ, to do the will of the Father, and to have eternal life in that. The warning is to not be duped by this world and everything that it puts forth. And the reason he warns us is because we can be tempted to do it and deceived into buying into its program. Don't let it happen. Wake up if you're sleeping, spiritually speaking, not physically right now. I don't think any of you are. But it's real. It's real. And you can't do the will of God and function loving the world simultaneously. It will never work. You will be frustrated. You will be fruitless. And you will find yourself at the end of that road seeking something more. But you can abide in Christ, and you can be fruitful, and you can have life abundant, and you can have victory. And you might face hardships. You might face persecution. And the world might hate you for it. But this world is passing away. And the kingdom that you ascribe to, God's kingdom, is eternal. And you will have riches and glory that never fade away. It says that this inheritance is incorruptible, it's undefiled, and it never fades away. And God extends it to you and to me. And he says, you can, you can taste of this river of life freely. I won't charge you. He's already paid everything for it. He's provided grace, RJ, which is sufficient. And he will provide all that you need in this life and in the life to come. So my encouragement to you is to take this time, this weekend, even though it's not fully a weekend, these couple of days away, to take it and to like ask, ask some deep questions of yourself, like where do you fall in all this? What are you ascribing to? What are you giving yourself to? Better yet, what is it that you love? 
is it the world that you're seeking acceptance from or is it God? Because you can't love the world and have the love of the Father in you. And in this day and in this age, in this society and culture, God is calling us to something higher. And he wants his followers to be rid of the entanglement, entanglements of this world and to be fully given over to him. And he'll do, he'll do big things through you, even if they seem small. But in eternity's eyes, they're big. And it's not insignificant sharing with a neighbor, sharing with a friend, you know, whatever the case may be. It's not insignificant. The little things oftentimes are the biggest. And uh, we'll end on that. But listen, if you're here and you want prayer for anything particular in regards to the abiding life or the ways of this world or breaking free from the entanglements of this world, I encourage you as we sing these last few worship songs uh, that, that you stand, take a stand. And if there's anyone who does stand, you know around them that this person is just asking for prayer. And I would encourage the rest of you or anyone who's around you or a leader or whoever to just come and lay hands on them as the Spirit leads and pray for them. You don't have to ask them anything, but you just pray for them. And, if, um, and just allow the, the Lord to minister to your heart through these songs and to rid yourself of the entanglements of this world. I apologize for going uh, a little long here. Uh, but there's a saying that John Stott says. He says, sermonettes produce Christianettes. We don't want to be baby Christians, even if we're young. We can be fully mature and walking with Christ in the Holy Spirit in this day and age, as they did in the book of Acts in Thessalonica, turning the world upside down. So let's seek that in our lives. Amen? All right. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your goodness and your love towards us, your grace. We thank you for all that you've accomplished on our behalf, Lord. We want to walk with you. We want to abide in you. We want life eternal, and we want it to start now, Lord. So have your way in us. I pray for every individual in this room. If there be anything within them that is of this world that is staining and polluting and drawing them back from fully walking with you and doing your will, I pray that you'd reveal it to them and allow them by your grace to turn from it, to cast it off, and to walk afresh with you, Lord. Have your way in us, and have your way through us, Lord. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.